the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And our story today is the sermon that Peter preaches to a Roman centurion's household as they are sitting at the table learning about Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, has been preaching about Jesus and the kingdom of God when all of a sudden he gets a message to go to this Roman Gentile home. And Peter gets the idea that God is doing something new, opening up the gospel, stretching the boundaries and breaking open the world to God's love in Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter says. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that Jesus did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, as we come this morning, we are having a hard time seeing peace. We are having a difficult time witnessing to your peace at work in the world. And so that we ask that you may open our eyes to the peace that is before us, to the glimmers of justice that are around us, to the hope that you give, to which we must cling. So strengthen our hearts. Give us your hope. Enable us to see your peace and to preach it. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. At the first service, somebody 
told me that I was speaking too loudly. So if I'm speaking too loudly or too softly, you should raise your hand. I do not want anyone's ears to hurt or strain as we work into our new sound system. So that's our agreement. Okay? Amen? Amen. Amen. Excellent. Yesterday morning, I was walking my dog, Sammy, up towards Grub Road from our house. And as we walked up towards Grub Road, family after family walked down from the temple that is at the top of Grub Road, there by 495. I'd say hello, and sometimes the children would ask to pet our dog. We would hear families passing one another when somebody stopped to tie a shoe. They would say, Shabbat Shalom. In some ways, this is a simple, pleasant greeting for the Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom. Have a good day. But there is so much more to that greeting. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat is Sabbath. It is that holy day which God commands that we keep as a day of rest, when we cease from our labors and trust only in God. And shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, which is not simply a cessation of hostilities or the absence of war or even a calm feeling. Shalom is wholeness. It is the completeness of creation that God desires. It happens when things are in harmony and there is prosperity and there is goodness. So when people say Shabbat Shalom, it is a prayer that says may you dwell in completeness on this day of Sabbath. May you dwell in shalom on this day of God's rest. Shabbat shalom. So I thought about Jesus as a young boy walking to synagogue with his parents and the families that were going with them and as they would meet up and say, Shabbat Shalom, and how Jesus grew up with that word Shalom. It would have been all around him, that concept of this wholeness and completeness of peace. As a child, he would have learned the words of that 85th Psalm, this kind of vocabulary of Shalom, the poetry. God will speak Shalom to the people. To people who have suffered, God will speak peace. God will speak wholeness and completeness, steadfast love. That has said, that fierce love of God that will never let God's people go, that steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace, tzedek and shalom will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness, which is a synonym for justice, 
justice will look down from the sky. The Lord will give hold. That goodness at creation, when God created the heavens and the earth and says, it is good. It is very good. It is whole. And the land will yield its increase. The land will be complete. The land will give food for people who have suffered hunger. People, poor people, will be able to eat. This is the vocabulary of shalom, the vocabulary of peace, steadfast love and faithfulness, righteousness and justice, goodness and prosperity. And this is God's vision of the way in which the world is supposed to be. This is the rightness of the world that God created. It is the kingdom that God desires. Full of love, setting things right, healing, justice, wholeness, food, shalom. So I imagine Jesus singing this psalm, singing this hymn, and all these words of peace being in his heart and in his head. And I imagine him walking home from synagogue down that path from Grub Road, and how strange it would be for him to pass by the soldiers of the empire that stood on the corner. And how odd it must have been for Jesus to look at their swords. His father told him that one Roman sword cost more than the food his family ate for that month. Swords were expensive, and it was people like Jesus' family, the poor people, who were taxed double to pay for that Roman soldier and his sword. Peacekeepers, the Romans called them. They were there to keep peace, law, and order peace in all of the provinces, of all of the peoples that they had conquered all over the empire, to keep all that property, all of that land, all of those kingdoms and nations in line. Roman soldiers were deployed all over the world. A few years before Jesus was born, an insurrection had taken place at a city just four miles north of Nazareth, a city called Sepphoris. And at that insurrection, Roman soldiers burned the city to the ground and crucified 2,000 men. They hung their bodies so that anyone passing by would see what would happen to anyone who crossed the empire. The Roman idea of peace was represented by that sword, that peace comes from defeating one's enemies, that peace is a rule by intimidation and fear, that peace is achieved through violence, that is peace through victory, 
And how very different that is from the peace with which Jesus was raised, peace by means of justice and righteousness and truth, peace based on God's steadfast love and unending faithfulness for all creation. Jesus worked all his life for shalom, for that kingdom of God's completeness and wholeness. God longing for the world to be in harmony and God's vision that Jesus lived for was always in conflict with the empire's version of peace. And Jesus worked nonviolently making justice to set all of that that was wrong right. So Jesus rode a donkey while Caesar rode a war horse. While Caesar collected taxes, Jesus overturned the tables and dumped the money out. It may have been this last act that was the straw that broke the camel's back, or at least in one of the Gospels, it is not long after that that Jesus is arrested by a Roman soldier and crucified. That execution reserved for those who crossed the empire. But Jesus lived by a promise. A promise as ancient as the Psalms. And on Easter morning, faithfulness sprung up from the ground and righteousness looked down from the sky and the Lord gave what is good. New life, new life, shalom. And Jesus' disciples took up that task of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of shalom, peace through justice. So Peter was one of these disciples who Jesus called to preach the good news of Jesus' peace. So we have to wonder what it was like for Peter to be asked to go to the Roman soldier's home, the one that Jesus would have passed by as a boy on his way to home from the synagogue. What would it is like for Peter to go to the home of one who had arrested Jesus and put him to death. A poor Jewish fisherman in the home of a wealthy Gentile Roman soldier. God was asking the lamb to go into the wolf's den. But it became this kingdom moment because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Where justice springs up from the ground and righteousness falls from the sky. And it becomes this kingdom moment where Peter is met with kindness and hospitality. And Cornelius, that Roman soldier, the centurion, has invited his family and his friends gather so eager to hear about peace. And Jew sits with Gentile, strangers and would-be enemies come together as friends, and there is wholeness and a completeness 
and a harmony that happens right there. Now, this is not a kumbaya piece. This is not a piece of gentleness and kindness only. This is a piece of Jesus' acts of kindness and healing and going up against evil. That's what Peter's talking about when Jesus goes up against those oppressed by the devil. Jesus is going up against unfair taxation and occupation and hunger. And how Jesus was killed. And so I wonder a little bit about the tension in the room when Peter speaks about the crucifixion. So did it make any sense that Peter was in Cornelius' home except that God raises Jesus from the dead? And that God raises kindness and love and there is incredible power in the new life, the goodness of the shalom that breaks down enemies and sets the world right with one another and there is forgiveness. Did you hear that last part? Forgiveness? A coming together? God will speak peace to the people. God preached peace in Jesus Christ. We don't see so many shalom moments in our public sphere these days. We'll pray for our nation in Johnson Chapel after the service for anyone who wants to be there. It is a badge of honor now to refuse to meet with those with whom we disagree. Compromise is anathema. And so we have division, an out-and-out meanness and separation, name-calling, violence. We are fractious. As I watched the children coming home from the synagogue up down my street from Grub Road, for a while I thought that they were so different from Jesus walking by that soldier and seeing that sword. But when I think about the violence that is just in the air, I think our children who walk home from synagogue or from school are also walking under a threat of violence. God remains faithful. God's love is a fierce love. It is steadfast. God will speak shalom to the people. God will raise up new life. Our God is a God who brings goodness. Our God is a God who will have faithfulness 
our God is a God that will have faithfulness spring up from the ground and righteousness look down from the sky and the Lord will give what is good. And our land will be shalom. That is the hope. That is the promise. That is what God does, what Jesus did, what God does through Jesus and what God calls us to do and by the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do. Somebody at first service gave testimony of how God was working in their life and where they saw peace. He talked about going to Kenya and being part of an initiative to have young people there teach other young people about risky behavior. They were making peace. And he talked about how he got off the plane in London and there was a woman from Africa and everybody was frustrated with her as she struggled with her luggage and her child. She wouldn't get out of the way. And having been in Kenya and experienced what he had experienced, our, our friend went to the woman and he picked up her luggage. And in that one simple act of kindness, the whole frustration ceased. And it was a moment of shalom, a glimmer of the kingdom a bit of God saying, yes, you can do this. I don't know what will happen at the Olympics next month in South Korea. But can we not set cynicism aside for just a moment? And can we not just maybe grab on to some glimmer of shalom? North Korea and South Korea marching together on one flag. The joint Korean women's ice hockey team. Now, I don't know about you, but a Korean ice hockey team on its own seems like a miracle to me. But North Korea and South Korea coming together to play ice hockey in the Olympics. Is God good? The person I am most grateful for in this is Thomas Bach, not Johann Sebastian, but Thomas. He is the president of the International Olympics Committee, and he is the one who on Saturday sat down with the representatives from North and South Korea. I think he might have felt a little bit like Peter. They met for hours to negotiate a participation agreement. And in the end, the committee made the extraordinary decision that it would make room for the North Koreans to compete, adding 22 slots. And I think that maybe this happened because Mr. Bach grew up in Germany West Germany, when there was a West and an East Germany divided by the Berlin Wall. He said it was his memory of this that had influenced his decision. 
and he invited all of the world to join in a celebration of hope. So I am grateful for this kingdom moment and for Mr. Bach's witness that walls do come down. And perhaps, even for a little while, enemies can and do, and by God's blessed love, will become friends. That what was once divided can be made whole, and people will live together in prosperity and harmony and safety in Shalom. God's intention, God's kingdom, the way the world is supposed to be. Peace. Jesus, peace. As you walk out today, may you dwell in the completeness of the Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.